Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. How you doing? Welcome to week three. Um, I tried to record an intro in a more professional setting and it just doesn't work for me. I find that I always want to talk to you while there's other stuff going on. So I've got Jesse playing next door. I've got uh, Kit doing something in another. Oh, that was Jesse slamming the door. Mickey's eating something. You right there, Mickey? Um, anywho, I hope you're doing well. We're three weeks in, you and me. Uh, it's becoming a long-term thing. I miss you when you're away. How have you been? How was your week? Uh, everything's been all right here. Just been a bit manic, to be honest. Um, I've been doing some work things, quite big stuff for next year, and it's all very exciting, but it's just made me feel... If we use the spinning plate metaphor, I feel like they are maybe about to topple, maybe about to crash. Oh, more slamming the doors. Um, don't worry, darling, just do better spying. Go in the sitting room and have a look through the window there. Did you hear that? Jessie was trying to spy on Mick Ray, but she saw him. It went wrong. Anyway, you don't want to hear about this stuff. Um, this week, my guest is Candice Braithwaite. Right, Candice has got um, two kids, a little boy is two and a little girl is six. Um, she, um, she's been Instagramming a, like a, a mummy blogger, I think you'd call it, um, for a few years now. But not because she thought, oh, I've got an amazing life and I want to share it, but because she could see a gap for a black, young black family showing that they were thriving, not just surviving in the UK. And um, she's got a lot to say for herself. She set up something brilliant called Make Motherhood Diverse a few years back, which is an initiative to show the many different faces of 
motherhood um, in the UK for people that maybe don't always feel represented. And she released her first book this year. It's called I Am Not Your Baby Mother. It's in the bestseller list. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's been swept up in the Black Lives Matter movement, although obviously she wrote it beforehand. But it's 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 got it's rightly a bestseller. It's I really I, I whipped through it. I loved it. It's informative. It's smart. Um, it's got humour and it's got sadness, but it's also got urgency and agency. Mickey, it's going to be hard for people to hear me if you're doing that. But you're going to love Candice. I thought she's brilliant. And I actually genuinely felt very, very lucky to have time with her because I think she's only going to get bigger, bolder, better. She's just... I just love it when I meet women that are just driven and feel like they've got a purpose like that. I'm so... I find it really uh, inspiring. She had such wisdom for me. I don't think I'm giving out much wisdom here. I love you all. Thanks for tuning in. Don't worry, the interview's really quiet. Uh, enjoy. Bye-bye. Well, it's, um, it's quite funny being here with you because I feel like I've had a mini candy sort of sat by my bedside table for a little while. <laughs> Because I've been reading your book. <laughs> yeah. And your voice in it is so clear. I sort of had a sense of you before I mm. met you. And thank you. I've really enjoyed reading it. Yeah. Um, as a very superficial thing, it's the only book I've managed to finish in the last three months. <laughs> and it was so lovely to properly indulge myself in a book and think, no, it's really important I read this and then mm. I get, it, get through it. But um, I'm just... My brain is like uh, got asteroids off it for where to start with you, really, because I think the achievement of what you've written is wonderful. Mm. You've obviously been doing this during an extraordinary time in our lives in so many ways. Mm. Um, why don't we start with here and now? So, what's happening at the moment? You're doing a, a book tour, but from from your home. Yeah, I'm doing a book tour from the spare room. Um, Everyone now desperately wants to talk about book two, three, four, which is really interesting because I am the girl that I think everyone took a chance on. And this um, this was my sixth book proposal. I had five turned down, five. Oh, okay. And none of them... Uh, what's really interesting is none of the conversation was, oh, you're not a good writer. It was the superficial, you don't have a big enough following like grow your social media following then come back to us all of that and with this book I, I think I called everyone's bluff including my own I put the proposal up on Instagram and I was like I'm gonna self-publish because this is just driving me mad see you bye and in two weeks we had a deal so I think that shows sometimes the universe is just waiting for you to take a risk on yourself um but to my admission I'm so glad that other proposals got thrown out because it wouldn't have been this and I didn't want to write about motherhood because I thought god I come from the motherhood parenting influencer space I see these books written every single day and to be honest with you 80% of them end up as coasters for your coffee because they're, they're throwaway material I'm I'm not left thinking about them in a year's time and what I neglected to look at is how in the UK we'd never had an author a black woman write about motherhood ever so it's the first motherhood parenting book written by a black author in 2020 that's actually pretty it's kind of, it's horrifying. insane and gross yeah, yeah it's really gross <laughs> I mean I was when you're saying I was thinking that can't be true yeah. but I'm sure that must be true yeah um I'm sure you know your stuff about it but I'm thinking how how is that the case in 2020 it's sort of jaw-dropping really yeah 
Um, so the other proposals you had, were they sort mm. of similar things or were they more born out of a kind of, hey, you've got your Instagram thing, follow, you know, yeah. building and you should write a book just a sort of more like a yeah. guide to motherhood. Like yeah, that. it was all of that. It was very, um, it was very broad and perhaps that was the problem. And what this book has taught me is have one reader in mind. I wrote this specifically for 16-year-old black girls growing up in South London and everyone else ceased to exist. And the minute I just thought of one reader, it just allowed the work to flow better. It's been amazing. I had a message from a white guy, 55, living in Kenya. Don't ask me how the book got to him. But he's read it and he was like, I'm so overwhelmed, I've learned so much. But that was never my intention. I was like, I'm solely focused on this young black girl who is in so many ways just going to see all of these potholes and fall into most of them. But I want her to have that little voice in the back, like, try not to do that, do this. Um, that is sexual abuse. That is assault. That I, I needed all of that. And so to see all these different people read it is really overwhelming. Yeah, because it's definitely not um, a sort of parenting manual. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. And you say a couple of times during it as well that it's not an autobiography either. No. Um, and actually, I was sort of trying to work out, not that it needs to fit into mm. a genre, but I was trying to, if I was trying to describe it to someone, I was thinking, how would I sort of term it? Mm. And when I was talking to my mum about it the other day, I said, it's really for someone like me, mm. so I'm like 41, white middle class mum, raising mm. my five kids. I said, for me, it's, it, for what's happened with the book is it kind of brings home and sort of, politicizes the lack of diversity mm. what happens if you're a different race growing up in contemporary modern britain mm -hmm. specifically london as well mm. i'm a londoner born and bred and how the role of the dice of where you're born and the color of your skin can affect you but very much like i recognize the streets you're talking about yeah. and my london too yeah although obviously not my experience of london mm. so i don't know what that means the book is but i loved it because it really made me think and it also for a lot of people out there who have been watching all the Black Lives Matter mm. and this massive movement, but they don't really know necessarily where they can start in their own lives. Yeah. There's, a, there's almost a point, you know, of where systematic issues are mm. in the UK that need to be addressed right here, yeah. right now. Yeah. It's alarming. There's so many statistics in it that are alarming. Yeah. I really want you to restart the petition for getting mm. them to discuss about black mothers in pregnancy yeah. again. Because you were saying in the book that there yeah. was a petition you tried to yeah. kickstart. Yeah, what's been interesting is since the release of the book, someone else has pushed that petition, and I think we're well over the signatures now. Okay. And I, and so you, you touched on, like, the term political, and that's so funny. When my best friend finally read it, she was like, mate, did you write this to be liked? And I was like, oh. I was very offended. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, no, it's really political. She was like, she was like, this just feels like dog whistle politics. And I just feel, I'm a, she's a black woman. And she was like, I'm just sitting here with my mouth on the floor. Like, I don't think Candice understands what she's done. And I didn't. I just, I wrote it, if I'm honest, quite flippantly. Yes, there were some bits that were hard to write, but it was just very like, meh, 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 because this is my life. Mm. This is the lived experience of me and all the black women I know. So I'm not stopping to think how shocked people are going to be or disgusted or annoyed. I'm just like, oh, this is what we know. She was like, yeah, but the world doesn't know this. And the world has never seen 
mother had discussed this way she was like I don't think you understand what you've done and she was right I was very ignorant I was like yeah mm, mm, we'll see and but now all the feedback is I've pulled this data I'm going to start this petition I'm doing this in my workplace I've asked my lecturer at uni to add it to the reading list and I'm just like oh my gosh mate I didn't expect any of that no but that's what's brilliant because I think there are a lot of people watching everything that's happening in the news and thinking, okay, how do I actually make this part of what I'm actually doing? How do we make this movement Mm. mean something so it's not just a moment and things actually properly change? Mm. And your book kind of puts everything in a list almost of just like, (laughs) this is is the result, this is where the problem led from. And this, like, everything seems quite fixable, but also so systemic. It's so part of the infrastructure of... Yeah, and it is it is political because the things that are coming from the government and where mm. where the attention's being yeah. placed and where the focus is. Yeah, and if you're a voice that I mean, the fact that it's the first black mother <laughs> book about mother, it's, you know, that just shows you how how quiet that voice has been. Mm. And obviously, there's just been a kind of putting up with it. Yeah. It's probably a little bit akin to something like the Me Too movement, insofar mm. as people just went, it's kind of how things are, so yeah. we don't question. And then suddenly, everybody goes what are you talking about? Yeah. We've got to flip the table and say this yeah. is definitely not okay. Yeah. Um, so were you writing all of that with your kids sort of running? When did you finish? You finished earlier this year? I finished back end of last year. Okay. So I think just before Christmas I turned it in. And so I've been, they've been around the whole writing process. And then I want to say stupidly, but it's a blessing. We bought this house bang in the middle of like the week I was meant to turn in so it was very late um <laughs> so I'm only laughing because there's so much to take on at once but. like and I did, and the thing is we called like the mortgage broker as like a joke it was my joke I was like okay let's see what needs to happen for us to buy in 2022 and they were like oh send us this 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 and they were like no you're good to go now and I was like what now and then I was like okay 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 and so from calling the mortgage broker to closing on this house it was six weeks which is wow. unheard of. Yeah. But that meant our lives were like this. And then because it was a new build and empty, we moved in a month. Wow. And I'm trying to write. And my, my kid, um, because of the racist incident that I describe in the book that happened to Esme, Esme is also changing schools at that time. Right. Um, I'm trying to settle my son in with his new child. It was insane. Looking back, I'm like, what were you thinking? Um, but... Maybe that's, again, why I have a bit of a flyaway tone in the book because I just, I did not have the time yeah. to be lighthearted or waste words. I was like, actually, I've only got two hours right now to do this and then I've got to go pick up a kid or whatever, so yeah. And is that something you've sort of noticed has sort of changed in the way you approach your work since since you've been a parent, if you've got that kind of concentrated amount of time to yeah. do things? Do you think you'd be capable of writing in that way? If your life hadn't been so busy. No, no way. I think I'd be really, um, what's the word? A bit lazy, a bit. And when you're younger and childless, you're just afforded the liberty of taking time. There's no one waiting to be fed or waiting to be put to bed. So I didn't even have structure in my youth. I was like, oh, yeah, it will get done when it gets done. Mm. Esme especially just came into my life and just really up the ante and I was like oh okay life moves better with this clean workflow where she helps me get up at this time and I know I've got to do 
I wouldn't even dream of having the career I have if I didn't have those kids first because they've really just made me buck up my ideas. And I'm like, they show me how, and I know it sounds cliche, how every moment is precious because you blink and they're two and four and six. And I'm like, you were just born yesterday. <laughs> like, So yeah. seeing them is like just having insight into how actually if you live to 100, that's just a blink yeah. and I don't have time to waste. So I'm really like, so there's kind of an urgency in, in a way, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. Because yeah. actually even your eldest is still only six. So six. It's actually a very, still a very short amount of time, yeah. really. I know. To have done all these. I mean, it must be kind of crazy to you to think that every aspect of what you now do all the time mm. is so... So I often speak to women where their work is influenced by motherhood, but yours is not... Mm. Your work and your motherhood are like completely yeah. inextricably linked. Yeah. So you must feel... I mean, in your book, you say you didn't want to be a mother. Mm. So do you ever have time when you have a rare moment to catch your breath just to think about the extraordinary sort of twist your life has All the time. The, my kids will be sitting here, Bode, my partner will be sitting here, I'll be sitting there, and I'll just have this out-of-body experience where I'm like, this is not the life you planned for yourself. <laughs> but it's kind of cool. I dig it. But I was meant to be on a yacht in Dubai with my mates drinking champagne. <laughs> And I'm just here in Milton Keynes doing this suburban thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> but, but like you said, um, my entire career was born out of having children. And so I just look at them and I think we, even the, the material aspect of their lives now wouldn't exist without them coming in. And... It has been a very quick change. Like Esme is only seven um, later on this year. And when she was born, we were just so undescribably broke. Like there was one night we had to choose between topping up the gas meter and nappies. Of course, we chose nappies. But the, the, the time she was born was freezing. And I just think that was only yesterday. Six years ago is yesterday. Yeah. And to see how much our lives have um, transformed, I do sometimes just get really panicky and anxious. I'm like, this is so fast. This is really fast. Even I have, and I'm into the woo-woo, the crystals, the sage, all of that. I'm like, wow, universe, you're responding really quickly. Can I have a moment? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a roller coaster to be fair. That that really that really is that's a really big change in a very short amount mm. of time. And I guess the fact that you've also moved house really recently as well. It must yeah. feel like everything's sort of every every landscape is kind of yeah. changing, and then being part of that new chapter of your your mm. life. And like I can't imagine how crazy it must have felt to you to have that sort of fire in you to to write your book and get out of yourself all those things, all those messages to that sixteen year old girl mm. in South London. And then as your book gets near to release date, this sort of cataclysmic global event happens. And I, I feel like the pandemic and people being on lockdown mm-hmm. was almost like drying out all the straw yeah. so that when the events happened in America with George Floyd, it's like the match goes and every, everything's so dry, it could just go <sighs> woof. It's actually making me feel a bit goosebumps yeah. as a, as a, as a phenomenon. You know, it's a, a crazy thing to be living through. But for your book as well, that's got so much of this as... There's actually a lot of your phrasing that's now mm. commonplace in news, newspaper yeah. reporting yeah. of how we're talking about racism. Mm. Um, 
but it was there from last year. Yeah. So I, I, how does that feel to be going through it as your, when it's your baby, your book? Really, it's confirmation to me. And again, I know it, it sounds so um, maybe out of touch with a lot of people, but it's confirmation to me that I'm just like a vehicle and a vessel for whatever I'm supposed to be doing because we cannot ignore the timing. Literally, the book comes out one week the very next week, the murder of George Floyd just makes the world come alive and everyone finally stand in agreement like, no, we really do treat black people like rubbish and we need to like globally fix this. And then my book's in the world and then my phone keeps pinging and I'm like, what's going on? And it's just tag after tag, mention after mention. And even using social media as an example, my platform grew by 100,000 in three days. Whoa. And I'm just like, hey, guys, how can I help you? <laughs> but I've been consistently tagged as a black British voice of activism, which was so outside of whatever I thought I'd do, because, yeah, I do film random stop and searches when I see young black boys being searched, and I put them on the internet with their permission, and I've always been vocal about the injustice towards me or my kid, but because it was just part of my day-to-day life, I never viewed it as activism. But someone online did, and they were like, in the UK, this is a voice you need to listen to. The book had been out a week, and it was like watching your newborn go to uni. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, she can't walk. Where are you going? And they just put a cap and gown on a baby, and they're like, yeah, it's graduation. And I'm just like, ah! (laughs) Please don't do this! (laughs) And to see it listed with, like, the work of a Carla and Layla, so I'm just like, are you guys being for real? This that I wrote just, like, in my dingy spare room with very little spare time are you sure and the universe people are like no we're sure and so I'm just I'm just plodding along because I I didn't have that kind of expectation none of us knew we were going to see a black man be murdered on our screens for eight nine minutes so I just have to be down to to ride it out yeah so I suppose this is a little bit semantics but I don't know if 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 all you're putting on your stream is what you see and what people don't always talk about, in a way, it's calling activism in a way almost sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? It's like everybody should feel they can talk about their experiences yeah. and put that out there. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a really big, bold, dramatic thing. It can mm. just be how we all learn about all the different complexities of life yeah. and start to fix it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's... You shouldn't feel like you're doing something crazy or bold if all you're doing is talking about reality. <laughs> you know this is I mean? it. This is it. And I was like, I just, I felt so uncomfortable. And it just so happened. Um, my friend, Leila Saad, is the author of a book called Me and White Supremacy. So it's a workbook that's selling really well. And we share the same UK publisher. And I just kept texting her like, Leila, I just don't know what's going on. And she was like, you're in it now, and I know that wasn't your expectation, but also remind this new audience that you are layered and you're not going to come onto the internet every day to do this back-breaking work. Some days it's just lipstick. I love clothes. I love getting dressed. I love that lightness of life. It just so happens that the the colour and tone of my skin means I have this extra layer. 
So I do sometimes have to discuss the harder injustices, but that's not all there is to me. And I hope that people who have gone on to follow Layla or Monroe Bergdorf or any of the people listed aren't just always expecting hard talk because these women, these people, like they have a whole life like everyone else does. Yeah, but I actually think that's all all more positive and actually makes it more accessible because mm. you don't want... Um, if it's the equivalent of like what you eat in the day or something, you don't want your your voice to be sort of the equivalent of like eating something like muesli or you know, <laughs> so you know it's good for you, but you know it, it, you want it to be that full plate yeah. and all the colour because that's that's the richness, and then people mm. can go, oh well, actually. Um, I, I, I love that dress and I love that handbag and yeah. oh what a brilliant picture on the wall and oh God, our kid's beautiful yeah. oh but also I'm yeah. learning all this other stuff that's, yeah. I think that's actually a much more like rounded way to get people to listen to you full stop that's why you were building a following in the first mm. place it's that back to that horrible much used word but like the authenticity of a voice yeah. really and if it doesn't resonate then you're only really doing it because you feel like it's good for you and it mm. probably won't sit because I think it's really important that people do feel like I recognise all these bits of my life. And then, because it made me think, I mean, when I had my first baby, I felt quite isolated. I think the experience of your first child is quite an isolating experience. But it really made me think when I was reading a book because I thought, well, I would look at, you know, the cover of like, I don't know, Baby Bjorn mm. thing and think, I don't recognise that woman, that's not mm. me. But what if it's really not you? What yeah. if it's not anywhere near you in terms of your upbringing, mm. the colour of your and, and nothing? Mm. I thought that must be... I can't even imagine how far away you'd feel from what, what role model of parenting mm. is supposed to be or how, how recognised, how seen you are. Mm. Um, when, when you talk about the 16-year-old girl you're writing, do you think, it's probably a bit trite, but do you think it's you? Is it like a young version of you? Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I only wish I could have read a book like the one I've now written at that age. There was this wickedly salacious book that came out when I was about 14, 15. It's called The Coldest Winter Ever. It's American fiction. Um, and it was it was such a juicy story about a teenager growing up in Brooklyn, our headmistress bandit. She was like, if I see that book in here, you're going to the chapel. But um, I was like, I need my book to give someone that feeling. Because mm -hmm. I read The Coldest Winter Ever and although it was set in New York, I was like, I know that. I've seen that situation. I've lived that. And I wanted my book to be held in that esteem so I wasn't even thinking Sunday Times bestseller a win for me was if schools were open that girls would purposefully put the book in the front of their art folder so as they're walking down the street it's like yeah I am reading this, this hot <laughs> new book because that's what we did with the coldest winter ever once you got a copy of it you put in your art folder because you wanted people to see that you were down. So I was like, Sunday Times bestseller, I don't care about that. Like, what are the kids reading? Gen Z, help me. Um, and so it was definitely me talking to myself because I'm adamant that if I read that kind of material, 16, 17, 18, I, 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 it's not to say life would have been better, but I definitely would have avoided really bad guys. No. I would have been able to ascertain what was sexual abuse, what was not me like pretending to be Destiny's Child independent woman, but answering to this really unusual illegal call of especially young black girls being um, forced to grow up far too quickly. And um, I just wish that someone held my hand through that. And so there was none of that. And I think that book is me trying to do that for yeah. me. 
Yeah. I actually think there's there could be even more sort of for for teenage girls to talk about how they feel about themselves when it comes to yeah becoming a sexual young girl mm. and I mean my whole attitude to the opposite sex and sexuality and everything as a teenager was so it was picked up from things like more magazine which yeah. isn't even around anymore but it was this comic that used to have like position of the fortnight and stuff like that and <laughs> I just look back and I think I wish I could just take myself and say like that is not <laughs> that is not the goal here yeah. unless that, that's what you really want to yeah. do in which case go for it but yeah. There's not, I don't think I really knew where to, it's something we wasn't really spoken about actually, mm-hmm. how to assert yourself or how to make sure that what you were doing wasn't just, I think I just wanted to be a people pleaser and I thought if, yes. if I was doing what blokes thought was great then I, then 10 out of 10 yeah. and that was, that was the aim. Like yeah. how, it's weird isn't it when it takes getting older to learn what you mm. shouldn't have done when you're younger. And you just want to hug yourself. You yeah. just, but, and, and, and I think that's why the, the book has landed with um, women specifically because regardless of race there are so many moments where women are like oh my god that happened to me and I've never used the word rape I've never I've always gone and said oh well you were too drunk and you should have known better you have mm. those quiet conversations with yourself when it's like no the person knew that and they took advantage so you have to be able to label it like it is yeah and I think um yeah the the, the cover says black British mother but that what is inside the book is like universal problems no no i'm doing lots of uh big nodding <laughs> in agreement with that i think that made me reflect a lot on some of my early experiences and i would definitely mm. i, I recognize a lot of myself in those things and yeah it's that thing of thinking but i was there that, that happened to me mm. i must have invited it and then yeah. looking back you think absolutely not there was just a total imbalance and my annoying you care by playing with my coffee cup <laughs> Is that what's annoying? Yes. I'm going to have a bit of coffee yeah, and then I'll put it down again. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing that a lot, I think. Um, so now you find yourself a, a mother of two. two yeah. And so obviously your firstborn is a little girl. So mm. do you think there's a lot of uh, things you felt determined to be kind of a role model to her in that way? Yeah, completely. I think when we talk about people pleasing, um, black women are like at the top of that leaderboard. And because society is so well at, I use the the, the idea of um, a, a diagram in the book about a pyramid and black women not being anywhere on the pyramid. They are in the soil. They are the pillars that keeps the pyramid upright. And so when you think about that, we never have a voice. We're never listened to. There was an interaction between her and her grandfather um, from her dad's side um, that happened in this living room where she um, he was like, Esme, um, come and take my plate to the kitchen. He just finished eating. And this is very common in especially Nigerian settings. And Esme was like, no. And like, you could have heard a pin drop. He was like, what, what? And he called her dad, Bode. He was like, come and talk to your daughter. She won't take my plate. Like, I'm her granddad. I feel so disrespected. And she was like, granddad, your legs aren't broken. And I just don't feel like doing it. And I was in the kitchen, (laughs) like, yes, yes. And I was ready like a mama bear to come ripping in here. If Bode didn't come down and side with her, I was like, Right, I was counting. I was like, I need him to show her that he is on board with her having an opinion, even in the face of his very stern West African dad. He came down, he was like, yeah, we don't do that in here, dad. Like, she has an opinion. And his dad, (laughs) 
I think his dad actually took a nap after. It was just such... <laughs> it's too much <laughs> like, like, But um, I'm really firm about that. My granddad, I was raised by my granddad, my maternal grandfather. And I'm really lucky because even though he's 80, he's always encouraged me to have a voice. Always. And I know for sure that it's that voice that has perhaps... And I'm, I'm not being dramatic, definitely kept me alive in a lot of situations, being able to say things or shout, literally. And so I've taken that from the way he raised me. And my daughter, especially, I'm like, no, speak up, speak louder, say it again. Mum and dad, will, we will always back you. Don't, you know, don't shy away from a situation. And so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really intent on her feeling like she can speak yeah i can well that's an amazing moment your daughter saying no i'm not going to take your play granddad but um also your granddad um seems like the loveliest man i mean the way you speak about him on your post but it's in your book did you give him a haircut the other day yeah, yeah. i did that looks so sweet. I did. Well, tend, that's a very tender thing to do for someone I think. Well, I, actually my kids would not describe it as tender <laughs> but theoretically the thing is he kept asking um my partner to do it he kept saying oh body come and cut my hair and i saw body just kept dragging his feet i was like oh gosh i'll bloody do it then but then when we were in bed that night body was like i did it on purpose he was like i didn't want to say but he was like i i'm always aware of the things you miss about your dad because my dad died when I was 20 and he was like I was not going to steal that moment he was like when your granddad dies oh oh Candice he was like when your granddad dies like you'll just remember that moment and I thought even in the middle of it when I was just like oh he's annoying me because he's being lazy I thought oh actually yeah you've got a point there yeah yeah that's it is really precious and it's a very intimate thing to do as well having someone sat there and you know I think sometimes the conversations you might have, or even the silence actually when you're both involved in a task mm. and you're not making direct eye contact yeah. yeah it's like there's a there's a dialogue that can go on even when there's no sound yeah um and I think it's really special that you had that time but also special that he's been in your life in that way um mm. we're not always uh we don't always talk as much about the role of grandparents in our in our raising. I mean, yeah. obviously yours is a lot more mm. close to hand because he was the one there a lot of the time. But for everybody, that you know, your, your relationship with a grandparent, it can be much more... It's It's got the same love as a parent, but the, the judgment is sort of once removed. So it can yeah. actually be somewhere where they do go, I'm just rooting for you here, actually. Yes. I just want you to excel and yeah. be celebrated because... Yeah. You haven't got that inbuilt thing of going, this is my yeah. next one down and you've got to be like a mini-me but better or whatever it yeah. is you're doing. No, that's it. And that is my granddad's vibe. And now I said to him when he was here, because prior to us inviting him into this bubble thing we're doing, mm. I hadn't seen him since Christmas last year. Oh, I know, wow. I know. And um, he, life has changed so much, even in that short space of time. And he was staying here and he stayed for five days and he cried because he didn't want to go home. But he lives in sheltered accommodation for older people. So mm. he was like, if I don't go home tonight, they're going to kick my door off in the morning thinking I've died. So I need to <laughs> go home. Um, but I was like, actually, Grandad, I make you a promise. We are going to buy a bigger house and you're not going to die alone. Like, I, I see that as my duty. And I think I feel like that because when my dad died, it was my granddad who took me to see dad in the chapel of rest. And I'm 20 and I've never 
seen anyone die or a dead body. And even though it was my own dad, I was a bit like, oh, God, I'm scared. This is too much. And my, if my granddad could have jumped in the coffin, he would have. And he was just, like, rubbing his head and was like, my dad's name was Richard. He was like, Richie, it's fine. I'm here. And, like, I'm not going to die until I know she's fine. And I just, it's so extraordinary to see that kind of love from people who weren't family, like him and my dad weren't kin, but my granddad was just so possessive of him in that moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to let you die in some sheltered accommodation unit. Like, I would never forgive myself. And so I'm now obsessed with just getting a bigger place where my granddad can have his space and we can check on him all the time and he can smoke his pipe. And I can know that I get the privilege of seeing him off this earth, like... That to me is a privilege. But well, that's also a gift of it's a you know love in its sort of most profound way, isn't it? If you can actually spend that time and mm. look after him, and uh, it's funny. I, I don't know if you've you probably, probably have thought about this a lot because I you know obviously you've got thinking about your granddad when you were cutting his hair. But I think I've I've weighed up so much during this time the the fact that we've had this lockdown where you can't see your loved ones and your parents and grandparents, but weighing up the value of time when you know that you haven't got endless years to spend with people anyway yeah. I've thought so much about it like how what's the the value of keeping people safe on a lockdown when they might possibly get an illness that could make it so they die really very soon mm. versus not having loads and loads of time left to spend mm. time together at all it's I think it's been so hard for people psychologically all of that yeah um and we, we had the first time when my mum came around the other day and the first time she could like hold my youngest who's only one and I just thought it's it's crazy you know the way you have to value, weigh up these things. Mm. And it's like you were saying as well with um, with children being such an amazing marker of chronology. Because mm. during this time, my little one went from being a crawling only baby to now he's, you know, walking around yeah. and got a few words. And yeah. it's like, oh, you can really see. Yeah. Like, he's gone from that to that. Not quite at university like your <laughs> book baby, but, you know, in his own little way, these milestones. Um, with... So we've talked a lot about the book and I know you're mm. saying that it's really important that people don't think that's all you and obviously a massive mm. part of what you do is your Instagram life yeah. and now your husband has yeah. stopped work to work with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which I is know, amazing, actually. Do you know what, though? He took a chance on me and I'll never forget it. I used to work in publishing when Esme was about two. I won a job to work for a major UK publisher. So I got back on that wheel and it was really hard because my mum was looking after Esme and my mum's not very well. Um, and so my I was in the marketing department and back then they were called bloggers and I was spending the whole day on the phone to bloggers asking them what it would cost for them to feature a title on their blog and the price they were telling me I would go on my lunch break and be like oh you're really in the wrong job girl but how on earth do you make this crossover and you know I'd be like in the corner making little notes right so you build this online platform and you make yourself look appealing to advertisers and so I'm always very clear when it comes to my business it's exactly that I never came online and I know a lot of people have this privilege of just being like oh I just got so lucky and I don't know how to no no this was planned to a T I saw I'm so sorry. No, don't worry. It's my granddad's speak of it. Oh, do you want to speak to me? It's all right. <laughs> um, I saw this gap in the market and I was like, you have to be all in on 
feeling that and I quit my job I quit my job and and me having that job which was not greatly paid at all but it kept our heads above water like we could have a date night once a month you know our shopping what we could spend on the food shop was still really small but it just brought our heads above water and me quitting that job sent us right back like under the seabed and um he begrudgingly supported me. He was begrudging for years. Um, and I, but I did say to him, I said, one day, I said, I'm going to make enough money that I can float everything and give you the chance to work out what you want to do. That was always the promise. And um, I'd been saying it now since last year, but he'd been in the same job, steadily rising for 10 years, you mm. know. You get used to that income every month and he knows what he knows and he likes it um but lockdown I think really showed him what he's missing with the kids and being able to be the boss of your own time of sorts Mm. and he'd actually got a new job during lockdown and he was going to leave the company he'd worked for and go to another one and last week I just looked at him like dude are you really are you really going to do me like this like I've come as far as I can by myself Work is going so well that I'm struggling. I'm having to turn things down because you're on a course or you're working away and now I've got to, like, get the kids here and do that. And he was like, actually, okay, okay." And I had to, like, print off all the bank statements and show him how I, in my head, because I'm I'm a good bluffer, but I don't (laughs) like, like, talking the financials and spreadsheets, but I laid it all out. I was like, this is what we have this is how long we will float. And, you know, I had to show that to him. And he was like, oh, we're good. He was like, okay, I'll quit. And I was like, what? And um, it's only day two of us working together and he's changed my life like that. My workflow is so, it's become so smooth. Um, And so, yeah, but uh, he did me a solid. Yeah. Yeah. But also being able to share the workload is a massive help. Just be able to because I, th- I would imagine when you first start out with something like blogging or mm. uh, content creating, you, you, the line between home life and work life is really blurred. Yeah. And if someone is, as you say, begrudgingly supportive, but still <laughs> maybe doesn't quite understand that well really well. So mm. if you're saying, I really need to finish this post or I really mm. need to do this or can you just take one more picture? It's not quite right yeah. because you know in your mind what you want. It's sometimes quite hard if you're working at home as you've been doing yeah. at the beginning from that with that to actually differentiate like no no this is it is actually still mm. work it is still a business and yeah. then not just think you're yeah going a bit crazy with it so I suppose what's the big significant what well, the first time you get something it becomes monetized I suppose is yeah the first time he saw me work with a brand and get paid he was like oh oh <laughs> you did okay and so that meant though I hadn't worked for say four years. So it took four years to get to that point. It took four four years. Wow. Four years. That's quite a long time. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing. No wonder the support was a bit begrudging. (laughs) This is the thing. So people like, and I want to be honest about it. I'm like, yeah, I think people don't realise this whole platform building thing. And and then like to, to just bring it home, even though I had a book come out a month ago or however long, um, my Instagram platform only grew by an extra 100k last week. Right, right. Last week. So um, you have to be deeply committed to whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we, he just looked at me like I was completely insane. He was like, 
you are making no money. You're up till midnight learning how to edit. Like, what is going on? Now, it makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world. And I'm so happy I just followed my gut. But um, I think there are so many people, specifically women, who know they could succeed at something but are too easily swayed. Or or give up just a little too early. Yeah, you've you you've got to get to that place where you're in mad discomfort. Like you know, it's not even a bit like oh, I you know I'm not really feeling good or this is really hard. It's tears, it's frustration, it's mm. crying out in the dark at night, thinking how am I possibly going to see myself to the end of next week? I feel like that is the point. A bit like childbirth, even though I had C sections. I think you need to feel that burn of the head coming down and then the success is like the child being born. But I think so many women are sometimes even forced to just like quit when you're five centimetres dilated. People are like, oh, you've been at this for too long. This dream's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. All of that. You just have to be committed to seeing that kid being born. Mm. Yeah. I think um, it's also really nice to hear that you worked for it for a long time because there'll probably be a lot of people that look at, at the success you have and think, oh, I'd quite like to do that. And, mm. and it's actually, I think it's okay that it's there's a proper hard graph behind it because yeah. it's, 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 you know, that's the journey that it takes and it can't be something you can just sort of yeah. pick up off a peg, you know, it's got yeah. to, that, that, the sort of foundations are what helps it, mm. helps it grow as well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. But um what was I gonna ask you? Um oh, I've lost my train of thread that I train of thought. I was just, I had a quite really good question and it's gone. Well, I'll ask a different one. What what do you think the the sort of pre baby you would, would think of you now? What do you if you kind of spent time together or just thinking about yourself as a, a mother? Do you know, I think this was a line in the book, but we left it on the cutting room floor and I think I said something along the lines of a pre baby me would walk past me now in the street and not recognise her. We'd have the same face, the same name, be the same person, essentially, mm. but our, our eyes wouldn't even meet. She would just just be... I'd be so out of whatever she's thinking or dreaming about for herself, seemingly so out of reach, mm. she wouldn't see me. She'd just be in her own world, just looking ahead at whatever. Um, and that's really... It's powerful, but it's also really scary because I'm. I try not to be um, vocal, especially around Esme, my eldest, about how much um, having them has impacted my life or made me grow, because I'm also very aware of how 
even if you have the privilege of living to be an old person, um, if you have kids, your world's at some point must part. Mm. And I don't ever want them to feel like they're so... Um, they have to be so deeply committed to me or their life entrenched with mine that when I do die, they're just so like turned over with grief or thinking, oh, but mummy was part of our world. No, we have separate worlds. So, and I, I'm really, I love my children, but I'm, I hate that line, oh, my kids are my world. I had a world before them mm. and they've come along now and they're part of my universe, but they're a completely different planet. And we orbit and we do all of that. But that means that when I can bust, they're not affected. Mm. And you know, So I'm very um, careful about the way I speak about what they've done for me. And I'll say it in private, but I don't ever want them to think, oh, you know, you know, we do this and mummy's this way because of, no, I want them to feel. Yeah. And that your happiness is so dependent yeah. on what they do. And yeah. I, think I actually use the same analogy about the planets for my kids as well, actually. I think as well because I've got a few of them now and I feel like I have to visit each planet and check the atmosphere and see what's growing and go, that plant's flourishing, but this one really needs more water and more light. And I feel like they've all got a slightly different vibe going on and you have to keep spending time going around these different planets. Um, I actually remembered my other question now. I was going to say, when you were building your your Instagram platform, it started out as a kind of, you were working in publishing and Mm. you could see, hang on a minute, these people are getting paid really well for doing something that, firstly, I I think I could do, but secondly, Mm. I think there's a gap for someone like me. I haven't haven't really seen that there. But how easy was it? Your book Mm. is... It's the same voice as your platform, but it's still, it still it isn't the the clothing and the lipstick. Mm. Yeah. So did you feel like there was a chance that they might not be comfortable bedfellows having your book mm. be quite so sort of, I suppose, have such a fire to it? No, that was really purposeful. It was really important to me. I think far too often online influencers are offered book deals purely because of numbers and publishing is a business and if you've got a million followers they know at least 10% are going to buy that book Sunday Times bestseller the numbers look great and on and on that wheel turns it was really important to me that when people spoke about my book one of the first things they would say is oh yeah but this isn't your usual influencer book Mm. like this is not a blogger book that that was like I told my publishers off the top like that is a major goal this cannot be another Instagram throwaway book that no one's speaking about in three months yeah um and I wanted I felt like I had a point to prove because I fought so hard to get a deal and I'd watched so many women specifically white women who had started their platforms after me but had been offered book deals before me yeah and couldn't write they can't write they've had ghostwriters like that's a known thing and I just felt so dejected I was like it, it was essentially 16 year old me having a point to prove yeah I think so well also I, I was thinking a bit about when you were saying about the urgency you felt of getting these things done yeah and I suppose if you've you know had the tragic experience of your own father you're only 20 and he's only 42 he's a very young man that's that's gonna definitely instill in you a sense of everything can change in a heartbeat and (sighs) you don't know how long you've got to get things out there and I don't actually go further with the influence thing and say I I wish the internet was better at having more boldness in it because I find a lot 
there's there's loads of people I found on Instagram that I adore and they really I lo- they actually help my day go better and I've learned things and been introduced to things and I find things inspiring but there's also swathes and swathes that I think is very very <laughs> vanilla doesn't want to put his head above the parapet yeah. doesn't want to challenge everything anything. yeah and I don't like the idea of like I sometimes get so hot and when something I care about is doing well and then I'll look at something like the big ones and they've got these millions of followers and they're not saying anything, anything. about anything and yeah. I'm like why are people looking yeah. at this? It's like looking at wallpaper or something. Yeah. I don't. That's a side of Instagram I don't actually get. <laughs> I completely agree. You are you are you are preaching to the choir, and it's so. Um, and then I have people who have followed me since Esme was a baby, and um, you know the the common thing is, oh, you should have way more followers. And I often go back to them. I'm like, this kind of truth doesn't get more followers, sweetheart. This is this level level of being yourself, the overused word authenticity, is not popular because it makes people um, have to confront things about themselves that can be really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think certain um, content creators, influencers have millions of followers because they allow people to feel nothing. Mm, I would totally agree with that. And that's still a that's still a thing. Like being able to come online outside of your day and just see great clothes, just see interiors, yeah. And and for them not to be talking about injustice or the pandemic or anything, yeah. it allows them to check out. Agreed. But it also means, and I believe this deeply, that there's there's no longevity in a content creator's career like that. It's very people will turn off slowly but surely and I've seen those kind of content creators eat themselves alive because there is also there are things beneath the skin they're raging and dying to say but now they've built this community of millions who is just so used to and ball paint yeah, I know. that it's yeah. like oh I, I can't possibly now talk about Black Lives Matter like you're only here for this well not even anything but they can't even talk about the, <laughs> the argument they had yesterday yeah. or their kids you know doing something like none of it's yeah. mentioned and I mean I won't go into any names or anything because mm. it's not about that but the whole thing that happened last year with the sort of uh, the forum where it turned out that a high-profile blogger mm. was actually sort of trolling her, herself and <laughs> others was a bit... It's an amazing story because yeah. it's a bit like... The thing that, for me, always made me feel like I can't follow that because it doesn't speak to me about mm. my life. Like, my life is so far from perfect. Yeah. And my motherhood, is, I love it, but it's also... It's quite chaotic at times yes. and I... I don't really tend to follow things that make me feel like a bit crappy about, mm. you know, the mess in my home or whatever. But it was like turning over the the picture and underneath it's like there's loads of maggots or something. Yeah. It's like, whoa. This, if, we're, if we're all better at being open about reality, it's actually healthy for everyone, I think. Yeah. And I suppose as well, with the, you were talking about the followers, but I have to say when you've got a best-selling book that's actually got a proper thing, it's saying I don't think you need to worry about that because mm. you've sort of... Had, that's part, just part of the thing you do. And there's all these other things you do. Yeah. And you can be on breakfast telly showing fashion and also talking about this. How cool is do that? Do you know what, though? <laughs> that whole incident with that blogger, what's so interesting is that at the beginning of that year, she was hosting an event that I and my mother went to and there were various other blogging friends there. And one of them I'm still friends with. In our conversation, she was just talking about the stresses of being online and... 
and I always do this. I see my mouth seems to write checks that I do end up cashing in the long run. But as I'm saying things, I'm like, that was really crazy. Why did you say that? But I said to her, oh, by 2020, I was like, sweetheart, we're not all going to be in the same room. And she was like, what do you mean by that? I was like, no, I've got really big plans. And I just don't see myself being so dependent on these squares that Kevin or whoever owns it can unplug at whatever time and then I feel like all my work has gone down this digital drain I was like yeah I'm not going to be in this space and it's so funny that you know that blogger was hosting that event and then it turned out that because I knew about what she had been up to say a week before it broke publicly but I was in the middle of like trying to wrap up the book. Mm. So I was like, oh gosh, sucks to be her. Yeah, bye. Like to people who wanted to gossip. It grew and grew though, because I was getting a lot of messages and a lot of DMs. And as the days were going on, it was like, have you seen what she said about you? And I was like, oh God, did we have to do this? (laughs) And it's like going to the cinema to watch a movie and then seeing your name in the starring role. And you're just like, I was just here with my popcorn to like watch an action movie. Like what's going on? And then when it turned out to see what she said about me, I just felt so, I was gutted, I was angry, I was horrified. Um, I'd been on her podcast to like advocate for black women dying in childbirth. And like on timings, like that night you'd gone home to speak about me in a racist manner. Like it's so, but now I'm here and actually like, this is going to make like a sick Netflix or Dispatches thing because what she did just shows how it's almost being online is like an an alternate reality and you can present yourself to just have this picture perfect life and yet you go to bed and you're so upset or hard done by or whatever or threatened that you go into this space that is known for making people even want to commit suicide pretending to be someone else and like it's so if I take my name out and I just view it I'm like, actually, that is a really great documentary and we need to make it to show kids about how this can have a detrimental effect on who they think they are, on actual reality, on mental health, on real life. But don't get me wrong, it's taken me a long time to see it from that perspective. Well, I was going to say, it's it's tricky, I would imagine, because you set out your stall at the beginning of saying, I see a lot of, I think you put in the book... um, a sort of bob haircut, shiny, you know, white women mothers with their breath on tops. <laughs> and I want to represent a really happy, colourful black mm. family thriving in the UK. Mm. But does that ha- come with it a, a pressure to to not show when things are tricky because you don't want to do anything that might dilute the importance of that message? Oh, yeah, it did for a bit. I was like, oh, you know, they say black dads are missing or all of that stuff. And so I was really like, oh, I don't ever want to talk about when we have an argument or whatever. And then that just got really boring because I was like, actually, if I'm just going to show this normal nuclear family, of course we argue. Of course, there are times I'm like, go sleep in the car. And that is just part and parcel of our life. Mm. And once I like cracked that open even more, my audience responded in an even more positive way. Mm. Because I think especially for black women watching, at some point I can see how I perhaps look, I looked unattainable. It's like, right, she's so successful now and so far removed 
from where she was born and what we as black women know that I think I'm losing touch. And then I just start talking about the Jamaican food we eat and how we argue and how there's a massive culture clash because he's mm. West African and I'm from the Caribbean. And then it was like, oh, sigh of relief. She's still normal. These things are still, yeah. yeah. Still, you know, and I think it makes for better content. I just think, like you said, I don't, if ever someone feels rubbish about following me, I'm failing. I'm failing. I know I can't keep everyone happy, but if like the percentage gets high on people coming to my online space or engaging with my material and they leave feeling like, oh, I should be richer, slimmer, anything, uh, that's an F mm. in my book. Yeah. That, no, 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 I never, because I don't like following people who make me feel like that. So I'm really, um, I'm, I try to be really careful about doing that to other people. Um, I've realised as well, we haven't spoken at all about another amazing thing you did in 2017, I think, was mm. when you established, um, co-founded Make Motherhood oh, diverse. diverse. Yeah. That's like a, actually a really big deal. <laughs> we haven't even spoken about that. Yeah, so at the time I co-founded it with two other women who have since left to go and do their own thing. So it's just me and my best mate, actually, and another friend I have. So it's still three of us. And in 2017, the idea was, let's just replicate Humans of New York, this massive Instagram Um, But for motherhood and parenting, let's welcome all kind of voices to come and have their say and share their story. And that's how it began. Make motherhood diverse now, though, and this was never the plan, is now essentially a consultancy of an agency of sorts. Huge brands come to me or come to that space and are like, we're doing a Mother's Day campaign and we don't want to screw up. Please connect us with various um, women and people so that we can be sure that our advertising represents as many women and people as possible. And I, who plans that? Even in Barbados, I'm on this great beach, but I'm shouting because the Wi-Fi is bad. <laughs> and I'm trying to pay women and people for an advert they've done through Make Motherhood Diverse, mm. which the brand ended up not showing, but still honouring the contracts because I was like, that's what you guys have to do um but to be in a position now it's so weird there are a lot of women and people I get jobs through through that platform who remind me of myself six years ago gas meter nappies what's it gonna be and then an opportunity comes through and like we're talking three zeros four zeros for them and they're just like like that's gonna cover my rent for dot 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 and I'm, I'm still, I get very emotional about being in a place where I'm afforded the opportunity and privilege of seeing people through that moment. Because I think so many of us like to gloss over financial hardship and not mm. talk money. No, so many women, people are in abusive relationships just because of lack of money. Yeah. And Make Motherhood Diverse has helped many women leave relationships where men are beating them we've been able to um, link them up with solicitors pro bono who help them like move their kids and get them into safe houses and so I know some people may just go in that feed and be like yeah lots of different mums cool (sighs) that platform keeps me on my toes and it's just like my way of giving back I think no but that's brilliant actually probably shows the intent of of wanting to outgrow the yeah. just the influencer role like yeah. okay let's actually make this bigger and bolder and mm. take it further um and I'm actually really heartened to hear that advertising companies are coming yeah. and using it as a consultancy because it's really vital that everybody doesn't 
skirt over the awkwardness of the conversation and just have the conversation about yeah. about that. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking on the way here about, I don't know if you'd have an answer for this and you don't have to feel you're a spokesperson mm. for it at all, but I wondered how they should teach in schools um, mm. the difference between not just being not a racist, but being anti-racist, because I was trying to explain it to one of my kids the other day and I was really struggling with mm. the, the terms. I mean, I think this is quite a... Uh, fascinating time, like you know, with your your friend's book, the Me and White Supremacy, and working yeah. through the steps that someone like me would need to do with mm. the learning. I was thinking a lot about the fact that for my generation, when I went to school, we were very much taught don't don't see color of skin, mm. don't don't even really refer to it at all. It was yeah. all like we're all the same, we're all mm. the same. And like, you know, the heart was in the right place, yeah, but. It means that now when the conversation is, no, no, see, see the difference, acknowledge it and actually mm. question when you don't see it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's quite a big shift in, uh, in thinking. Mm. Um, I'm really, really excited for the changes that will come. And I feel, I feel actually very optimistic. Maybe it's a bit giddy of me, but I do feel there's a genuine desire yeah. for things to shift. Yeah. But I did wonder how it works with kids because obviously every child is, has got a very innate sense of what's mm. right and wrong. But then there's the fact that they can learn things that aren't mm. healthy outside of school. But I don't know how to make that difference about about being what it means to be anti-racist, even when you're in mm. schools. I know, and I struggle with that, but I do think so much of it begins with teaching the correct history. So Romans and Vikings, yes, they have their place, but the fact that teaching Key Stage 3 about... Britain's role in the transatlantic slave trade is optional. That's a problem. That's a problem. We need to be honest about where our sugar came from and 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 how we were involved in the moving of black bodies and trading people. Um, Akala, oh my gosh! Every time I hear that man speak, I just shrivel in in silliness. I'm just like, you are so whippet smart. Yeah, but he really he, is. Oh, He's phenomenal. Oh. And he, when he talks, you really listen. <laughs> listen. I'm just like, oh I want my him gosh. to. I want there to be an Akala in every school. <laughs> Basically, that would be amazing. So I'm like, so can we get a junior version of natives, please, Akala? Yeah. because I'd never heard British history discussed in that way and I, my, my, I'm black and my mind was blown it's through him that I learned we've only just in 2015 finished paying um, um, money back to slave owners in this country who were annoyed that we that Britain were going to say okay we're not dealing with slaves anymore that money was being taken through um, British people's taxes and they only finished paying that in 2015 oh that's embarrassing what's going on what is going on so it's like actually let's start there and let's not do that in key stage three let's like pull that in with actually i give credit to them horrible histories have a great song about um (laughs) i like horrible yeah they have a great song my daughter found it about things that britain were doing and she was like mommy do you know where sugar came from i'm like let's let's pick that up a little bit earlier so that we can start to frame up young people's minds about the history of this country. And if we're going to call it great, how so many different races played a role in that. Mm. It's not just a white man's land. It's not this whole, you know, um, a place where people feel like um, the murder of Stephen Lawrence is righteous because, you know, Mm. we need to start there. The other stuff I'm not sure, but I am really... I'm pinning a lot in us just being honest about the history of this country. And I would, 
I would hope that with the the promotion, the highlighting of the Black Lives Matter movement, publishers are really doing their homework and starting to reach out and commissioning certain books. Yeah. Because again, a bit like I had that moment six years ago where I'm like, gap in the market, gap in the... Huge gaps are yeah. here. Yeah. Huge. There are books we need that, w- that these schools really need. And so I hope they're doing their work too. No, I think that's a brilliant answer. I think that's the thing that people as well sort of willfully totally missed when they're talking about statues so much mm. it's like it's not the statue at the end of the trail <laughs> yeah. it's, that's the result of how the history is being taught yeah what you need is a more 360 mm. version of what really happened yeah and people are capable of dealing with you know churchill as someone who is capable of helping on one hand and being horrific yeah. on another we're not we're more we're capable mm. of more complexity than that yeah. you know yeah you don't have to dumb everything down it's like here's a goodie and here's a baddie yeah, you yeah. Know? It's, it's actually really when I think of it, it's like it's extraordinary that that is how things are taught. Mm. You know, you sort of good guy camp and a bad guy camp, and it's just we're capable of looking at everything and and contextualizing it because everybody's mm. things are shifting all the time. The sands yeah. move, move, people move on, they learn more, yeah. they're educated. You know, it's, you can you can put everything in a context, and you're able to cope with with all that information. I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, so um, when when you're doing your your book tours and mm. talking to people about the books I know that you've got that like black teenage girl in South London mm. at your forefront but there are probably two people that come up to you to say it's really made a difference there'd be the people that feel they've been really you know seen with uh, Make Motherhood mm. Diverse and with your book and then there'd be people who feel like it's really changed their way of thinking mm. which which one of those do you find is the more powerful conversation or does it not really work like that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't because I've got I've got great friends who are white. I've got best friends who are white. I know some people will be shocked to hear that. <laughs> like, um, and so just to feel that energy as an author to be part of a train of positive change or that click in someone's brain or that message when someone's like, "Your book has finally made my." made me sit down with my dad and confront him on his racism. and I'm like, all of it is legitimate and and it's all on the same level. None of it is like up here or down here. Um, and it just makes me just feel a bit, just so happy because I do genuinely feel um, uh, you could have picked any black girl from Brixton during that time to write this. And it wouldn't have been exactly the same, but a lot of the material would have lined up. So I appreciate how a lot of people feel seen. But what's also important to note is that even though I was writing for that person, that person knows what's happening. It's just about having it confirmed through me writing this book. For any change to happen, I don't need to preach to the choir it has to be those now committing to work of anti-racism. It has to be the white people who are like, I never knew that, and now I know that data. Mm. If I see a certain situation, I'm going to advocate or change my ways. I think... Um, so I would say, even though I don't feel any different, it is important that those who aren't black engage with that material and try and find ways to do the work. Well, I, I have to. Well, I haven't said yet, but you're a brilliant writer. Oh, thank you. I really you. like how you write, and you, I, it came across as effortless. But you actually dart around, sort of, I don't know, putting in data and talking about your personal experiences, and all keeping a, th- a really true thread. Mm. And you make it look really easy, but that mm. that isn't. And it's, it was a very, 
Um, I wouldn't say an easy read because there's lots you're consuming, yeah. but I mean, it, it was very fluid as, yeah. as, a, as a reader. I wasn't ever thinking, oh, golly, I just need to go back or... And that's and again, that was purposeful. I love Akala, but I found his book so smart that I felt overwhelmed at times and I had to, like, I listened to it, pause and go and research. And I just wanted to... I, I genuinely know that I can write better than that book. I know that I could be more poetic. But I spoke to a friend during the writing process and she was like, yeah, now's not the time for that. She was like, we need the most direct, concise, clear English. And you can be James Baldwin four books down the line. But now it's data. And she was like, you get two cute metaphors per chapter. <laughs> and, then and I was like, OK. And I'm so glad I took her advice because people are reading this book in three, four hours. And, mm. you know, and, and that's not saying that it's any less important but it just means that those who are often put off because of dyslexia or not having the time to read they're like I can do this I can understand I can engage and I think um I think I made the right choice there yeah but I have to say you do do some lovely metaphors I think my favorite (laughs) was the one about but um some men are like a bag of spinach (laughs) wearing them in the hot water and they were away to nearly nothing I really love that one (laughs) sorry I like the cute metaphors they're good um how did you find the process of working from home with the kids around? Was it, <laughs> were you writing when they were asleep? Were you writing during the day and they were out? Or Usually when they were out. So when Esme was at school and RJ was at his childminder, always to music. I've struggled. Really? Always. I re- what, even with like lyrics, words? Yeah. Really? And my, my dad used to comment on that when I was a kid. I'd always do my homework with really loud music. He's like, how are you able to do that and do that? Um... I even have a, a playlist on Spotify called I'm Not Your Baby Mother with like all the tracks I would listen to. Um, and I think an album that came out around the time I was writing was an MC I love called Kano. And he... I like Kano. It's a very political album, Hoodies All Summer, in, the, in perhaps the same way that people say I'm Not Your Baby Mother is. And I remember listening to his album and calling my partner and I was like, this is what the book has to sound like. Mm. People need if this if this book were a CD, this is this is the vibe we're going for, um, and so I'm really grateful for him for that album because it helped me tremendously. But yeah, it was usually just me um, trying to squish it between ten and two. So just as you drop them off, just if you got to go and get one, not at all. And then some sometimes late nights, but I, it would be after a few G and T's, and all the words would just start merging together. <laughs> so I just stopped that. But it was usually between ten and two. Okay, and when you're doing your work with the with the blogging, mm. do the kids are they kind of do they understand what's going on with the kind of like okay, we're doing a picture and yeah, it's a little too much <laughs> to the point they get that quite knowing, don't they? Last night I just edited Esme's first YouTube um, video. Apparently really? she's going to be a professional gamer, and so I had to film the screen with one camera as she filmed herself with yeah. the iPad, and then she hovered over my shoulder. And this bit I loved. And I was slowly starting to teach her how to edit video. And so I'm in those moments, I'm still trying to um, educate her. And I jokingly said to Bode, yes, I said, we can employ her by the time she's 10. Like, <laughs> if we really like lock down on this. And these are skills, you know, she might not be a professional gamer, but what job are you going to do where you need to be a professional video editor? Like, that's the way the world is going. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So, yeah, she, she really gets it. And she... Any advert she is included in, the money goes into a pot for her, as it does for other. Like I'm okay. really strict about that because I want to be like you, you know. Remember those times I was trying to like give you a cornetto for you to smile. 
boom, here you are, go buy a house. Like, that's how I want that to go. And then some people are like, oh my gosh, you did I'm like, yeah, like, it's work, it's work. I know people see a pretty image or a video, they're like, oh, that's so lovely. I'm like, do you know what it's like wrangling two under tens to get them in frame and clean, like... <laughs> May like, this is this is a job, but I love that because I think some people like you said before don't talk about money and they're quite squeamish about oh. it. And there's almost supposed to be this thing of going uh, like a sort of uncomfortable effect of like, oh well, I did get paid, but it was really you know not about that, or I don't want to talk about it. But actually, it's so refreshing. It's refreshing the book when you talk about all the times when you were adding up like, how much things would cost and how mm. things. Vibe. But I think for kids, I don't think there's any shame in understanding that work. And money, yeah. like, I don't want them, my kids to be squeamish about money. And I think I don't think I've handled it that well. I think um, I need to have better, more frank conversations about how much things cost because mm. I think I was raised to not really, no one really spoke to me about it. Yeah. They thought I wouldn't understand. And obviously you don't initially, but then you start to, and then you're not, don't turn into an adult like me who doesn't really want to attend mm. accountant meetings and don't want to talk about money because it's <laughs> so cringy and I hate it and I don't really have a clue what's going on half the time, which is I'm not proud of actually. Yeah. It's not a healthy way to be with, with cash, I don't think. Mm. And with your kids learning that, I, I totally agree. I think YouTube and all that is, uh, that to them is the, like watching telly and stuff. Yes. And there's, they're so used to accessing the information that way mm. and... You know, they have my kids have all got things where they film little little videos and hi guys, <laughs> yeah. what's up? And I don't even mind if they. I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Well, even when they put it online, I'm like, who's going to watch that? Most of it's so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> like, if you want to get through half an hour of one of my kids playing Minecraft, and, like, knock yourselves out. It's dull. <laughs> I feel, she's just so excited she's like mum I need a gaming mic and then I need the gaming chair but she was like oh, the gaming chair, I'm prepared yeah. to work for the gaming chair I, I check the prices yeah you better be because yeah. I'm just but it's like it's it that is their version of us being allowed to go out and play yeah and yeah. that doesn't happen anymore so if all she wants to do is film herself doing Roblox or Minecraft or whatever I'll just let her have a bash at it yeah. yeah, no, I'm the same in my house, really. And it can turn into other things. My 11-year-old has started making films now and See? writing a script and editing himself and uses Final Cut Pro and, you know, he's, he's getting yeah. into it. So it's like, let's water it and see where it goes, you this know? Is, this is that. I'm exactly the same with my kids. I'm like, okay, you've shown an interest. I'll support that. Like, what's that gamer's guy name? KSI? Like, isn't he, like, the richest gamer in the world? And, like, yeah. I think he posted his first video when he was, like, 10... I mean that's the thing because I've had conversations with other parents who are a bit more wary about it Mm -hmm. and then when I start talking about the success these people are actually having they're like oh they start to (laughs) reconsider their feelings like there is a way this is actually some people's jobs yeah yeah Yeah, so seeing as uh the podcast is called spinning play I I I came up that the reason I wanted to call it that is because that's how I feel quite a lot of times Mm. with trying to keep lots of things going in lots of different ways and in your life do you does does it feel like that to you? Like you're sometimes trying to keep a lot of plates going and do you feel like sometimes um, it gets a bit close for comfort with the work and home life? All the time. And I, one of the first things I tell any mum specifically who's like, oh, I'm going to be a content creator or start my own business. I'm like, get ready for some of them plates to smash. That's the only way you're going to pull this off. Like sometimes my kids' uniforms not ironed. Sometimes I forget the PE kit, or she forgets her lunch, and they've got to give her a school lunch and send me a stern letter. And I'm like, eh, oh well, she was fed, you know. And it's about not feeling guilty about that, especially. 
I, I think my privilege, though, was being raised by my granddad and seeing my nan go and out and pay for the mortgage and seeing my mum work full time. I've never seen women um, heavily involved in domestic labour. And so I don't feel guilt. And all the things that are considered women's work, my other half loves to do. He does all of the cooking. He's the one that just like walks around and is like, oh, yeah, that bath's a little bit dirty, isn't it? I guess I'll do it. Like, that's <laughs> it. That, that's all him. And so I'm really lucky in that way. But outside of that, I understand that um, I, you can't keep all the plates up all the time. And I will, I will happily let some of them crash to the floor. And yeah. yeah, and deal with the mess afterwards. It's about in that moment, and it's only in that moment, trying to make the best choice with the judgment you have now. It may be a month down the line, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have prioritised that, but you've got to go with your gut in the moment. I suppose the fact that your your work is so sort of intrinsic to wanting to create, a, I suppose, a sort of better life for your kids, really, that mm. must... Do you find that helps alleviate the sort of guilt because it feels more like it's got such a purpose to it? Yes. I th- I won't even say I think. I know I am the person who has been tasked with the duty of changing the trajectory of my entire blood lineage. I know that. as I feel that as a matter of fact. And um, I know I'm going to be the really old image then um, that a kid sees in their, like, 3D glasses. And someone's like, yeah, that's your great, 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 great grandma Candice Brathwaite who did this, which means you do this. And so I am very aware that my task um, is has a long line, like, long after I die. My friend Layla, who I mentioned she did ask me a question. She was like, you know, oh, what makes you a good ancestor? That's one of her questions. And I'm like, actually, I don't get to know I'm a good ancestor until I'm wherever you go, when you know you're an ancestor, and someone either calls on me or they're reading about me in a book and they're feeling that spark. They're like, I can push through this moment because Grandma Candice changed, like, our whole lives. And so, yeah, when I'm feeling really tired and really exhausted, I'm like actually Candice this isn't about you get up wow that's amazing and I'm just thinking about my poor ancestors <laughs> like who's that who's that crazy one in the sequence oh she sang some disco anything else not really <laughs> but we need the disco we need it and that's the oh, thing I didn't even invent it <laughs> <laughs> we need it and I you know I don't want people to feel to then feel like oh my I'm I all the roles we've been tasked with here are important yeah I think though we get so as you would you just get so bogged down with day-to-day life yeah I how know. often do you even really have the time to think about it on that scale like you don't you don't you don't but it's an that's actually an amazing way to clarify your thoughts and mm. if more people took the time to think of that I wonder how much it would change how, what how they do spend their time yeah because a lot of us are sort of sleepwalking through things a bit mm. and it's uncomfortable to pick up something heavy and try and make a difference actually yeah. it's it's yeah. not it's it's much easier just to to pretend it's not happening or just pretend it's just happening over there mm. or to other people it's it's definitely something that takes something to even even become part of a conversation sometimes yeah um so I think it's a good way to think and actually you're not the first person I've spoken to as well that said about talking to the universe how does that manifest with you is that literally just a sort of inner voice in your head or is it like 
meditating or yeah it's meditation I use uh this workbook that you can just print off in your own home at the top of every year it's called the yearly compass and it makes you write down and reflect on the year just gone and write about your hopes and all of that for the year ahead and I've only been actively using the year ahead since 2017 but it's changed my life tremendously as does buying a very expensive jazzy diary. And mm. I remember having this argument with my sister one time because, like, she bought her diary from Poundland. And I was like, was that you going to the limit of your budget for your diary? And she was like, well, no, of course not, but it's just a diary. I was like, so you mean to tell me the dates and the things you want to achieve in the year is only worth a quid? Talk to me about that. And she was like, you're joking. I was like, no, I think all those things are linked. Mm. Like you, I'm not saying, you know, take out a loan to buy a diary, but spend a tenner, like feel a little stretch, stretch and know that every time you pick that up, like you want to have a great year, you want to achieve those things. So every time you pick that diary up, you're going to feel like it's worth something. Mm. A Poundland diary is just not going to do that for you. And so I use crystals. Yeah, I'm very involved in, in that space but the thing that's helped the most is this you said the yearly compass the yearly compass it's you been right down yes yeah, you write and it, uh, the best part about it is how it makes you physically write um because they've made it in a pdf way so you can't even type it up on like you have to print it you have to write you have to be present at the beginning of the book they're like this section will take four hours and you're a bit like oh come on but you just you're looking back on 365 days Mm. what's four hours and you just light some candles and you really get to see you even get to see where perhaps you haven't bigged yourself up enough because Mm. life has moved so fast you've not pat yourself on the back yeah you get to be really honest about what you want to achieve one of a big thing on my yearly compass this year was being a sunday bestseller the truth was my fear was oh no one's isn't the book's not that great you're not you're just not going to sell enough units so I'll write it down but mm-hmm. and then it happened and I only picked up the yearly compass last week to read it I was like you actually wrote that this is so funny yeah and um you don't and it's important to understand that uh sometimes your gift is in really bad wrapping paper Uh, another thing that was in my yearly compass was me desperately asking the universe for more time with my kids Oh, (laughs) (laughs) because at the top of 2020 my diary was so full I was like right I'm not going to see you guys till Christmas great how am I going to manage this mum guilt and there was just repetition in that booklet of me going I need to make more time to spend with the kids I need to see my kids grow up and boom yeah global pandemic so like i said like, the wrapping paper is really powerful yeah the wrapping paper is <laughs> really rubbish but the present within it is exactly what i asked for yeah. and so and do you ever feel like you're asking for things that i suppose it's quite a good way of are you allowed to be really indulgent in your yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it doesn't matter if it's like quite kind of no like chanel jazzy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. all the time <laughs> I think the boat on boat in, was it a boat in Dubai with the cocktail? Yeah, like like all That'll the time. Twenty twenty one, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, um, hmm, I might have to invest in this yeah. PDF. Yeah, and it's free, and it just it just clears your mind and 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 allows again busy working mums. You just get to be clear about what your goals are, not the kids' goals, not your man or your ladies, yours. And I think, uh, especially at the end of 2020, we all need to spend a bit more time with ourselves. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, um, I think we should probably get at your house. I can't believe you've only been there a few months. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's beautiful. I, oh, thank you. Thank, I'm, I'm trying really hard, really hard. Um, we've got a way to go, but I do love it. No, it's know. lovely. And yeah. you've managed to make it feel really like home in what must be actually quite a short amount of time. Yeah, dead uh, short. Yes, yeah. dead short. <laughs> and surreal as well with book tours and, yeah. and lockdown. I noticed when I used your bathroom just before, yeah. there's a big sign on the wall that says, make shit happen. <laughs> I hope that was one of the first things you put up. Okay, so what's so funny is I bought that from a charity shop maybe a week before we heard we were going to get this place. And it was in our old rental property. It was just put up in the corner. And I used to say to Bode, I was like, when we buy that house, that is the first thing going up in the loo. And here we are. Yay! (laughs) Well, I noticed. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Oh, that's very satisfying. I was right. Like, I hope that's the first thing. <laughs> it was. Hurrah. Oh, it's so nice hearing all those words of wisdom again. I've really got to work on it, haven't I? What I tell my ancestors. And maybe this whole thing of the cosmic ordering chart. It's funny, I still don't quite get that. Do you have to do something specific when you're asking the universe for stuff? I mean, how do you stop it from just sounding like you're being really greedy? Or maybe being greedy is the point. I don't know. I have so much to learn with this. Um, well, thank you for listening. And uh, follow Candice on, on Instagram if you don't already. It's uh, She's someone that's a real joy to follow because um, she's smiley and happy and in a gorgeous, loving family. But she's also got that brilliant sort of unapologetic nature of just someone who knows exactly who they are and what they should be doing. I need a bit more of that. I overthink things way too much. I'm too sort of apologetic about myself sometimes. It's not good enough. I'm old enough to know better. I'm going to work on that. Anyway, lots of love to you. Have a brilliant week ahead. Uh, Let's meet here, shall we? Same place, same time next week uh, when I will be chatting with my mum. Yeah, I thought I'd go back to where it all began. But in the meantime, lots of love. Have a great week. Speak to you soon. Good luck with those pleads on the screen. Bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.